Chapter 18 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Anis Leibster. Chapter 18. The news of Otto von Sydow's sudden tragic death produced a profound impression upon old Countess Landorf. She immediately wrote a long letter to Goswin, eight pages of affectionate and sincere sympathy. Erika said very little about the matter, but she looked forward eagerly to Goswin's reply. When it came, it was dry, almost formal, the reply of a man crushed to the earth. who is not wont to discourse about his emotions and is shy of expressing himself with regard to them thus the countess landof understood it her sympathy for the young officer increased after reading his brief note erika on the other hand after perusing the epistle which her grandmother handed to her with a sigh showed an unaccountable degree of irritability Surely he might have written you more cordially she exclaimed such a letter as this means nothing it is simply a receipt of your sympathy nothing more her grandmother shook her head and tried to set her right but erika would not listen she had greatly changed of late her state of mind was growing more and more distressing she ate and slept but little her sentiment was searching for a new stay her life lacked a purpose at any risk she would gladly have fled from the chill brilliance which characterized her grandmother's philosophy of life to take refuge in some inspiration of the heart even although it might perhaps lead her astray religion had been taken from her and even the sacred nimbus of morality had been frayed by her grandmother's cynicism When her god had been taken from her she had at first wept hot bitter tears but she had aroused herself anew and faith had been born within her in a transfigured form it was no longer the conventional belief expressed in worn out formulas with which the multitude satisfy themselves in view of the mysteries of creation but an apprehension however faulty of an order of affairs incomprehensible to her finite intellect lifting her above that part of us which is of earth or the a faith which may bring with it but little consolation but which is certainly elevating when her grandmother first attacked in her presence what she called the by god's grace principle of morality and coldly proved that all morals culminated in a number of laws not founded in nature nay even at variance with nature which had been illogically framed by society for its preservation she did not weep but her whole being was poisoned by a discontent which she could not away with if her grandmother had had the least idea of the effect upon the girl of her cold reasoning she would have kept to herself the aphorisms which she was so fond of handing about like little delicately prepared tidbits her nature however was a thoroughly sound and rather cold one 
which took no pleasure in overwrought emotion and which was absolutely free from the devouring thirst which glowed in Erica's soul. How could she understand the young creature or know how to protect her from herself? But if on the one hand the old countess had but a poor opinion of mankind, on the other it was impossible for her to forego society. Although she had promised Erika to resist its temptations in Venus, she not only yielded to them herself but did all that she could to induce the girl to accompany her. Her efforts were, however, of no avail. In view of Erika's misanthropic and unamiable mood, and thus it came to pass that society witnessed the unusual spectacle of a vulnerable matron of seventy appearing with indefatigable enjoyment at one afternoon tea after another, while her beautiful young granddaughter at home confused her mind with the study of metaphysical works or visited the poor abroad. This last had of late been her favourite occupation. She had a long list of beneficiaries whom she befriended with enthusiastic zeal and of whom she had learned from the kindly hostess at the hotel and from the doctor when he came to visit his patients there. It was on a cloudy afternoon towards the end of March after her grandmother had parted from her with the sigh of compassion that Erika set out on foot as was her wont to visit a poor music teacher. The way to the modest lodgings where Fraulein Horst resided led Erika from the busy river by a narrow alley to the quiet Pizza San Zakeri where grass was growing between the stones. Thence the road grew more difficult to find and it was not without some pride that she threaded accurately the labyrinth of narrow streets and reached the small dwelling in question without having been obliged to inquire her way. She found the poor woman in bed in a wretchedly furnished room. A table beside her served to hold her various bottles of medicine and a green screen before the window shut out the light. In the midst of this poverty, the music teacher lay reading Consuelo and was happy. A wave of compassion, a compassion that brought the tears to her eyes, overwhelmed Erika. She leaned over the invalid and kissed her throbbing temples. Then, with the graceful kindliness which characterized her in the presence of sickness or misery, she adorned the room with the flowers she had with her, cleared away the grim witnesses from the table, had a cup of tea made and brought, and set out various little dainties from her basket, talking the while so cheerfully that the invalid forgot her pain. The poor music teacher followed her every movement in a kind of ecstasy. At last, Taking the girl's hand and pressing her feverish lips upon it, she exclaimed, How could I ever dream that the beautiful Countess Landoff, whom I have admired at the theatre and at concerts, would ever come to drink a cup of tea with me? Ah, what a pleasure it is! I am so glad, Erika replied, stroking the thin hand held out to her. I will come often, since you really like to have me. One never ought to despair while life lasts, said the sick woman. Just now I received a letter from an old schoolmate, Sophie Ling. When she was a poor girl, she fell in love with the gentleman. Of course, their union was not to be thought of. Now, after many years, she writes me that she has reached the goal of her desires. 
she is married she is his wife and she is almost crazy with the delight sophie lang erica cried with peculiar interest that was the name of our governess she must be 40 years old about that the woman replied smiling to herself a truly loving heart keeps young even at 40 years of age and what is her husband's name asked erica smitten by a strange suspicion baron strenchiski replied frolin host he is of ancient polish lineage not very wealthy but dear sophie does not mind that for a rich old gentleman whom she took care of during his 10 years illness has left her all his property and she is happy erica asked in a kind of terror oh how happy i am so glad so glad a little romance is so refreshing in these prosaic days they met each other again on the rigi at sunrise just think countess and sophie is not at all pretty only dear and kind now they are in naples but she tells me that in the course of the spring she and her husband may come to venice she has had a hard life but at last at last it is good to hear of so happy an end to her troubles at this point an attack of coughing interrupted her ah how terrible it was the handkerchief she held to her lips was crimson erica did all that she could for her supported her in her arms and bade her take courage when the invalid was more comfortable she left her promising to come again on the morrow god bless you countess the poor woman murmured faintly it was late and it had begun to grow dark before leaving the house erica had a short interview with the woman who rented the lodgings and deposited with her a sum of money that the poor music teacher might be supplied with every comfort possible then with a friendly nod she departed her heart felt lighter than it had done for some time and it was not until she had started on her homeward way that she noticed the gathering gloom she was half inclined to summon a gondola but decided that it was not worth the trouble and moreover she detested the swampy odor of the lagoons and just here the air was so sweet a spring fragrance was wafted about her from the grassy deserted campo what mysteries people are the girl reflected her thoughts reverting to her grandmother's comments upon the late elopement with the lover of the lovely young wife of an old german diplomat this is love countess ada on the one hand poor sophie on the other the one criminal the other ridiculous good heavens around her breathed the sweet drowsy air of spring there was a distant sound of bells and of plashing water and over all brooded something like a dim foreboding and expectant yearning erica suddenly awoke from her dreamy mood to find that she had lost her way she walked on to the nearest corner in hopes of finding it in vain not without a certain tremor she resolved to go straight on she could not but reach some familiar square or canal she walked hurriedly impatiently the air was no longer fragrant and she found herself in a narrow poverty stricken alley running between rows of tall evil looking and ruinous houses in which the windows showed like deep hollow eyes the gray mist was rising above the roofs and the walls of the houses as well as the stones underfoot were slimy with moisture 
Erica had much ado to keep her footing. So slippery was the pathway. If she walked in the middle of the street, she had to wade through mud and filth. And if she pressed near to the walls, the green slime soiled her dress. Darker and darker grew the night. When suddenly a root noise broke the forlorn silence. Songs issuing from rough throats mingled with the shrill chorus laughter of women. Poor Erika hastened her pace, but utter weariness so assailed her that she felt almost unable to stand upright. In an unlucky moment, a drunken sailor staggered out of the wretched drinking place whence the noise proceeded. He was a young stalwart man and before the girl could pass him, he had stretched out his arms and barred her way. Beside herself with terror, she screamed. When, as if rising from the earth, a man stepped in front of her, seized the sailor by the collar and flung him against the wall. She trembled in every limb without disgust and fear as she looked up at her rescuer, whose features she could barely distinguish, although she could see his eyes, dark, compassionate eyes. Where had she already seen those eyes? Before she could recall where, he said, lifting his head, You have evidently lost your way. Will you tell me where you live, that I may guide you out of this labyrinth? He spoke in English, but with a foreign accent. Apparently, he took her for an English woman. His proposal was an unusual one, and this seems to strike him. For before she could reply, he added, Of course, it is disagreeable to trust to a stranger's escort. But under the circumstances, it is the only thing to do. I cannot leave you here without a protector. This is no place for a lady. So dismissed was she by this knowledge that she could find no courteous words of thanks. And all she said in reply was to mention the name of her hotel. To the left, he said, motioning in the given direction. His voice too seemed familiar. They passed together through the network of narrow streets and over a high-arched bridge upon which a red lantern was burning and beneath which the sluggish water flowed slowly. Of whom does he remind me? thought Erika. Suddenly, her heart beat so as almost to deprive her of breath. By Ruth, Lozensi. And at the same moment, she recalled also his fair companion. Meanwhile, they had reached a large airy square. Pisa sends a carry. I know where I am now, she said very coldly as she took leave of him. He stood still, evidently wounded by her tone and looked after her with a frown. Without thanking him, she hurried on. Suddenly, she paused, unable to resist the impulse to look back. He was still standing, looking after her. She half turned to retrace her steps and thank him when indignation seemed to paralyze her. What had she to say to a man who without the least shame could appear in public with... Without further hesitation, she returned to the hotel. She slept badly that night. Her teeth chattered with fear at the thought of her adventure. And then, then in spite of herself, she was vexed that she had said no friendly word to Lozensi. He had deserved some such at her hands. What was his private life to her? She recalled the handsome half-staffed lad whom she had fed beside the gurgling brook. She longed to see him again. Half asleep, she turned her head uneasily on her pillow. 
The plashing of the water beneath her window sounded like a low trembling sigh and the sigh became a song. Nearer and nearer it sounded, insinuatingly sweet, a song of toasties then in fashion. She heard only the refrain. Nino Nino Kufe Tudalavi Tua Kina Padome She sprang out of bed and threw open the window. Along the Grand Canal, illuminated by gay little lanterns, glided a gondola whence the song proceeded. She leaned forward, but almost before she was aware of it, the gondola had passed out of sight. It was nothing more in the distance than a shadow with a little dash of colour, and the sweet melody only a sigh slowly absorbed by the rippling waves. She still stood at the window when all was silent again, all gone, all silent. Where the gondola had passed, there lay a broad moon glade upon the black water and mingling with the swampy odour of the lagoon, Erika could perceive the breath of spring. She closed the window and no longer heard even the plash of the water, or aught save the beating of her own heart. End of chapter 18